1: And I'm Tracy Alloway.
0: Tracy, you know, we've covered so many different aspects of supply chains and logistics over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, I think our first like sort of like supply chain episode was late 2020 when we first started noticing that the cost of shipping goods from China to the U.S. was like, it seems a little high.
1: Yeah, you're right. So, uh, you know, the early days of the pandemic, there was all the shipping related chaos and I guess lucky or un- unlucky. I don't know. Um, I-, I had a sort of front row seat to observe some of it in Asia because it became very, very apparent that it was becoming not only more difficult, but also more expensive yes. to ship goods from China to the U.S.
0: Right. So it's like, huh, what is going on with that? And then we looked at international shipping and we started pulling on the string that got us to ports. And that got us to trucks. And that got us to everything else. But <laughs> we was, pulled
1: the thread until. what you always think there's going to be nothing left, and then like you find something around the corner, right?
0: <laughs> but there's one big area that we've talked about doing for a long time that we haven't talked about.
1: Oh yes, yeah. Well, this is my point. There's always something new. Uh, barges.
0: Right. So we've you know the inland waterways rivers, the Mississippi River in particular, has always been something we wanted to talk about and uh, talk about its significance in the U.S. economy and in, uh, you know, how important is inland infrastructure. But we just haven't gotten around to it. However... Now we actually have a very good reason to talk about it.
1: It's the barge episode. The barge episode is finally here. But we do have the perfect peg, which is that at the moment there is a massive drought in the Midwest, and it is affecting water levels on the Mississippi, which is, of course, the most important inland waterway in the country. And I think, you know, I was reading a Bloomberg article. It said waters in Memphis fell to... Negative ten point seven nine feet recently, which is slightly lower than the previous low of ten point seven zero from nineteen eighty eight. Sure. Did you
0: say negative? There was negative water. Yeah, I don't I, where, I'm I don't not entirely that. sure how <laughs> that works. But it sounds bad. It sounds bad.
1: It's bad. Yeah.
0: Right. So there has been a very severe drought in the Midwest. And it seems like a double whammy, right? Because on the one hand, like if you depend on the Mississippi River or any of the inland waterways and the river's tributaries to move your grains or to move your goods, that's a problem. And Mm -hmm. we're going to get to why. But also it's just bad because it's bad for growing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if you're a farmer, you probably struggled to actually grow your harvest this year, and now you're struggling to get it out to the market where you're actually selling it into. So, yeah, a double whammy. And also, you know, we're going to be speaking a lot about grains on this episode, but there are all types of goods and resources and commodities that actually move up and down these pathways on the water.
0: Right. So we're going to do this episode a little bit differently. We're going to break it up into two different sections. But first, let's start with someone who works in the grain business and talk about how it's affecting them. Let's do it. We have the perfect guest to talk about grains and the effects of the uh, drought on the grain industry and on shipping grains. We are going to be speaking with Ben Scholl. He is the president of Lewis B. Osterber and Associates, which works with specialty grain companies, organic grains, non-GMO grains, etc., to move their goods overseas or to sell their goods, much of it destination overseas. And of course, his clients are highly dependent on on the functioning of the Mississippi River and the barges thereon. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Ben, why don't you just sort of tell us, like, what do you do? What's your role within the uh, grain ecosystem?
2: I am the president of a specialty grain company called Ostburn Associates. We buy specialty grains, non GMOs, and the like, and export them to Japan throughout the river system in the United States. I also come from a family farm. So I have a little bit of a farm background and uh, we are involved in production agriculture in central Illinois in the production of specialty grains.
1: So as a jumping off point, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the intro, how bad things actually are on the Mississippi at the moment. But give us your sense of how things are at the moment and how they stack up against history. Well this is
2: certainly I've been doing this for about 16 years. Certainly the worst I've ever seen. As I talk to some of the other veterans and people with a little more experience shipping on the river, it seems to be about as bad as we've had since the 1980s. A lot of people are citing 1988 uh matching some of those records. 2012 was a dry year. We had some low low water we had to contend with, but this is a lot really new compared to what we've been dealing with in the re- recent history, which is high water.
0: That's interesting. So it's a double whammy. So if you're producing grains in the Midwest, you're contending with a, I imagine drought is extremely bad just for the growing of grains and then the actual logistics.
2: Yeah. So we're kind of beholden to the weather all year round, especially if your main market is the export market, which is for most would be on the river and river tributary terminals. We are usually pretty consistent on the river with river levels, but you know we usually have to deal with low water in the fall, high water in the spring, and it's just something that we usually have to keep an eye on. Very rarely does it get parabolic in a situation like we're in today.
1: Can you talk to us a little bit about the life cycle of a harvest or I guess the supply chain of, you know, a particular grain is grown in a field on a farm and then it goes down the river and it ends up in an mm. export market like Japan or elsewhere. Like, How does that process normally work and where are these sticking points now?
2: Typically, uh, farmers will want to get in the field and plant their crops in April, May. If those are the ideal times to get in. You would typically begin harvest in that scenario, September, which would last through October and into the beginning of November. Now, for export, soybeans are usually the first thing to leave the United States in a typical harvest, which is where we're at right now. Uh, Soybeans move about 80% of exports will happen between September and February. A half to 60% might move by barge. That's where we are today. Corn usually follows maybe at the turn of the calendar year, That's when our big export program for corn will happen. So right now, it's pretty much all hands on deck in terms of the shipping to get the soybeans out. Our big buyer is obviously China. We want to get those out and and overseas as fast as possible because we will have a South American crop come online somewhere in January and February where we will no longer be as competitive to the market. When you ship something, depending on where you ship from, I will use St. Louis because It is the biggest origin port out of the center gulf. That might take, in a normal scenario, 10 days to get to New Orleans, maybe another 30 to get to a place like Japan after it's loaded on a boat. Right now, what we're seeing is at least double the amount of time to get from a St. Louis to a New Orleans, but that varies day by day. There are landmines and pitfalls all over the place on the river right now. It's legitimately a day-to-day situation.
1: So, is the issue for farmers that the longer it takes to get the crops out and exported to market, the less competitive they are? Or is the issue that if you wait too long, the crops themselves start to spoil, or both?
2: So, this is where it's interesting. While the dry weather is actually a hindrance to shipping and moving the crop on the river, it is hugely beneficial for the farmer getting their crops out of the field. We are making very good pace on harvest because there's been no rain to stop the harvest progress. So they're coming off in extremely, extremely fast pace. In the West, even faster because they don't have as much of a crop because of the dryness and some of the drought issues out there. Where the bottleneck occurs is at the shipping point. Most farmers have built ample storage over the last few years, as in the last 10, plenty of storage to store on farm. But the bottleneck becomes at the origin port. So now we cannot move as many barges uh, because of reduced tows and barges getting stuck all along the river segment. And that creates a backup at origin where it hurts the producer is a basis level or the difference in cash prices versus the Chicago Board of Trade continue to drop off. So whereas a farmer might see something relatively equal to what you see quoted on the board, they may be getting a dollar less because the transportation costs and risks are so high.
1: Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned the logistical landmines right now. What actually happens in low water and how does it slow down uh, the shipment of these goods or the grains?
2: So low water causes two problems, channel depth and channel width, of which you can take barges down. How this is being slowed down on the river currently, you have a tugboat that will push a pack of barges from a St. Louis to a New Orleans, and they might typically push 40 barges. Well, right now, the max is 25 on the river. The amount of grain that we can actually put in a barge is being reduced so right now, everybody is a, a nine-foot draft. We can only sink a barge nine foot down and ship it. That's, that constitutes somewhere between 25 and 30% less than normal. Uh, some of the other issues, longer turns, Where a lot of people are running daylight only hours right now, which means primarily the reason for that is so they can dredge or dig out the bottom of the river at night. So it just continues to make longer turns down to the Gulf and back. We have stoppages, which are day to day. It could be five, six blockages on any given river segment. And uh all of that really you put all that together and what that means for shippers, uh, and grain dealers and, and people that move product on the rivers, higher shipping costs.
1: Mm. So what are farmers actually doing to offset some of these issues? Mm. Like have they Potentially built up. I, I mean, I guess if you were prepping ahead of time for climate change and major drought, maybe you would build up uh, your storage capacity, for instance, so that you could store a lot of your grains if you can't move them. Are there things that farmers can do to offset some of these challenges?
2: Well, farmers can always price ahead. You can price before the issue gets here. We this issue really started well early in the year, but it really came to a head in September and October. So you are there are issue there are ways to mitigate that risk by pricing ahead, taking some of that risk off your off your table. You also have a huge buildup in storage on farm. So a lot of these producers can tuck away the grain until there's a more beneficial Uh, river system uh, a better chance and a better opportunity to sell better values once we get some of these issues sorted out.
0: Do farmers have any alternative ways of uh, shipping goods? Is there any rail or trucking nearby? Or do any of them have that option when they can't get a a spot on a barge?
2: Absolutely. Farmers, by and large, have their own trucks. They can move their own product. Uh, There are railhouses. Rail, even before these river issues, was pretty taxed and they've had their own issues and performance and otherwise in certain markets in certain parts of the U.S. So I don't know that rail is in a position to really help out the river market. And we already have a huge demand pull by rail to move corn and beans and other products to the west where we had a substantial drought and to the southeast where there's good demand for for rail in product. And it really isn't, economically feasible to truck your grain to New Orleans, which at the end of the day for export is where all this product needs to be. It's really a sit and wait. Look for other markets like a railhouse. Look for other markets like ethanol and, and feeders. And just if you need to move grain, find something else other than the river at this point to find a home because the values will be much better to the producer.
1: So this is one thing I was wondering, actually, you know, we're talking about moving things like soybeans down the river so that they can get exported to markets Mm -hmm. like China and elsewhere. So how much of the grains that are moving through the Mississippi, how how much of that goes to the U.S. versus the rest of the world?
2: So if you're talking about... It, let's just take corn for instance cuz i deal in corn mostly but
4: it's probably corn. 13
2: yeah I can't resist. <laughs> oh my gosh that's all i hear in my house my i mean my kids have never cared one iota what i do but since that came out they've done so much for the corn industry let me tell you uh, i'd say 13 15% of like the corn in the united states goes for export the majority of that gets used in house for between ethanol uh, feed of animals and uh, just other domestic food products. Beans are much more heavy export, probably closer to half or something like that. So that's why there's such a big onus. Not only is it our time to ship beans and to get them out, it's our window, the place where we're the most competitive, where we are typically cheaper than Brazil and our competition in Argentina. Uh, That's why it's such a high priority to get those out now because they will be coming online with bigger crops as our, uh, especially Brazil, continues to increase acreage year over year. They uh, are becoming more of a force and a bigger player in in the grain and especially soybean uh, competition for us in the world.
0: Do farmers have to make a decision about wait, this might be like a new normal that if, uh, you know, because droughts can last a long time. Obviously the drought in the Southwest has happened for several years and there are like crises of water levels there. Do farmers have to make a bet, so to speak, on whether the drought is going to persist and constrained waterways is a new normal and there has to be a different way of exporting their goods?
2: I don't know that they need to sit there and worry about drought into the future. And as it relates to the river system They could certainly look at diversifying some of their end use uh, buyers, maybe do a little ethanol, do some river feeder, maybe diversify it. But my my experience in weather and river conditions and rain is much like the economy, just like a drought and a recession. The best part about them is they will end at some point.
1: What would be most helpful for farmers at the moment? Would it be like more coordination on the river or better dredging capacity? What would people like to see here?
2: There's no magic bullet right now for the river. The The thing that we need is heavy rain, a flash flood type event north of St. Louis. The biggest problem with this event that we have right now isn't so much the low water. It's where the low water is located. The biggest problems are Memphis South. So. If you had flooding on the Illinois, some of the bigger companies, an ADM or a Cargill, could shift their operations to really push product out of the lower Mississippi or the Ohio River and kind of arb that opportunity. The problem we have right now is where this biggest issue is located, and that's Memphis South, which affects every single river segment. So there is no magic bullet. What we need are heavy rains, a flash flood type event, like I said, that would just run off into the rivers the tributaries and the in the in the main rivers to provide us a little relief the other would be a kind of just soaking rain and start knocking back this drought to where we have soil moisture and every rain adds to it that is obviously a longer process it'll be slower to to bring the river levels back up but Absent of widespread rain, dredging is just a kind of a bandaid on a bullet hole. At this point, it's just keeping us going.
0: Just one last question for me, out of more out of curiosity. But you mentioned that normally the problem that uh, uh, you face is actually too high water. Can you talk about some of the challenges that that poses?
2: Yeah. So high water. The one experience that I had that was probably the worst would have been the spring of nineteen, where. It just continually rained, and more than rain, it didn't It didn't ever get warm in the spring, and there wasn't a whole lot of sun to dry up the soils. And we were pretty much non-operational on the river, especially the Illinois River, until from spring to June, where there was a complete backlog at origin, a lot like what we have here, but just nothing was moving. We're actually trying to move in this situation with high water. There you can get to a point where you can't load anything physically because the water is so high that barges sit above spouts and product that you're trying to load on the barge. Neither are fun, but high water comes with its own set of challenges, just like low water. And high water has definitely been the more prominent of the two in, in recent years.
0: Ben, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely helpful. So appreciate you coming on Nodlots.
2: Oh, oh, it's an honor. And it's uh, appreciate you guys having
1: me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That yeah,
1: was great, Thanks, ben. ben. That was really good. Well, Joe, that was fascinating and there is a lot to dissect there, but just before we do, we're going to bring in two other guests, two people who have actually been on the show before, kind of talking about barges, but this time we're really going to get into it. We're going to be speaking with Mercury Group CEO Anton Posner and President Margot Brock in just a few minutes after the break. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So we're back and we are continuing our discussion of the Great Mississippi Drought and what it actually means for the economy, for transport and logistics. We are going to be speaking with Mercury Group CEO Anton Posner and President Margot Brock. Anton and Margot, thanks so much for coming back on All Thoughts.
4: Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us.
5: Yeah, great to be back.
1: So I remember the last time we spoke, we did touch on barges briefly. And so Joe and I, you know, when we were prepping for this episode, we thought, who do we need to call to (laughs) talk about barges? And it was, of course, uh, Mercury Group. Just to begin with, give us a sense of, of your connection to the barge business.
5: The river, river business is a big, huge part of Mercury Group uh, business and has been since our uh, inception. Of course, millions of tons move of commodities and cargoes move on the river system uh, every, uh, every year, northbound, southbound, east and west uh, throughout the Mississippi River, Ohio River uh, system. So it's been a big part of our business, primarily moving import commodities. Via, coming in via New Orleans and Mobile, uh, commodities like steel and aluminum and lead and zinc and, and raw materials for the steel and metals metals industry. Um, so it's uh, such a significant part of the North American and uh, American transportation uh, system uh, and a big, uh, you know, huge part of the Mercury, uh, Mercury Group's business that we manage for, for our
0: clients. Can you talk about like, you know, we've talked a lot about logistics and shipping and ports and trucks and dredging on the show several times. But just like how significant, I do feel as though inland waterways specifically do not get that much attention, I guess maybe outside of when they're in crisis, but how significant are they? To what degree do people need to appreciate the importance of our uh, inland infrastructure?
4: That's a great question because I think it is such an unknown in this country, for people don't understand how extensive the river system is, and how much of the U.S. gets fed in and out of materials on the river system. And you know, Anton and I are East Coast based people, so I didn't grow up on the Mississippi. I didn't see barges moving on the Mississippi, and I didn't know they existed growing up. And even Anton and I, who went to Merchant Marine uh, Merchant Marine School, we are came out as licensed third mates even in college we didn't talk about it we talked about ocean freight and and bigger bigger scale the river system is tremendous and the amount of commerce that runs inbound it really runs the gamut there's barges that move liquids there's an incredible incredible fleet of barges that move dry materials inland It can be, you know, some, interestingly enough, we at one point were moving organic soybeans into uh, Middle America because although we make soybeans here in the US, we don't have a great organic crop and you have to feed your organic meat, organic food. So to have organic cows, we need organic feedstock for them. We send raw materials into production facilities. So, you know, when we're looking at, What has happened in this market that we're all living of reduced availability of so many items that we think of that come from China in containers, you know, in the chips for our cars and Christmas gifts on our shelves. That's one part of the market. But there's a lot of raw materials that feed up into the U.S. that aren't able to reach these production facilities if the river is not working and that's the next great shortage that happens when we can't get materials up to the um, production facilities. And then on the export side, we'll have uh, discussed grain already for this podcast. Export grain is a huge part of the U.S.'s grain market. So although we feed plenty of our of ourselves domestically with what we produce, it's a really big global market for US grain. And right now is the grain season. So when rivers are not running well, which is what we're gonna talk about today, and you cannot get that grain out of the river system, that's a huge financial impact on our farmers. So it really is very extensive, uh, the reaches because the river system You know, it all runs up off the Mississippi and feeds east and west. It's a very big footprint of the U.S. that the river system touches. So talk to us a
1: little bit about what you've seen so far. How Mm -hmm. would you describe the current situation
4: on the Mississippi? The current situation, the middle America is suffering from a huge drought. And typically about this time of year, it's a combination of... We have southbound grain coming out, which dominates the landscape because it's so important to the U.S. economy to be shipping that grain out. And usually they're fighting against weather systems that are hurricanes. And we're used to seeing, you know, this time last year they were recovering from Ida, which took out grain elevators and then there's too much water in the river and it's running too fast and it's dangerous and there's so many impacts from too much water And what we're seeing this year is we didn't see any big weather systems come into the Gulf. The hurricane came in, came into the Gulf. It went to Florida. It didn't go to the river system. The rivers did not see any of that rainwater. The river is at historic lows. And there are moments where, you know, the gauge at Memphis, Tennessee reading water levels, they've been recording that gauge for the last 89 years and We learned through current events that 1988 was the lowest mark in that 89-year reading on the river. Well, we've surpassed that. We have set new lows on this river. It is significant on the lower Mississippi. And what it has caused is a series of domino effects, really. The water is low. We are getting channels evaporating where we just can't transit it because they're too low. And certain areas of the lower Mississippi have been dredged already. There are other areas waiting for the dredge. The dredges are very busy right now up and down the river, trying to keep keep traffic flowing. We're seeing when those rivers open, traffic is in one direction. So you've been waiting for days for the river to reopen. Your barges are stuck. And now you sit a few days more while traffic from the opposite direction passes through. And that dredge is now on its way somewhere else to salvage another location that's having problems. It's almost doing bare minimum just to keep the river operating and keep barges flowing. We are also, because the water is so low, it restricts how much you can put in a barge. And so we're seeing very low drafts on barges, which then has that next implication that you need more than the usual amount of barges to move that size parcel of cargo. So You know, if you were previously, you would have moved your parcel in 10 barges, maybe now you need 14 because of how you have to load them. So it's really, there's constraints on the system coming from every direction. You know, we can't get the barges moving fast enough to get them to a point where we need them to load. Plus, we need that many more to load now.
5: Yeah, add on, you know, that need for more barges, Per, per per ton, uh, effectively, on top of a busy grain season. And I think people, the person you spoke to on the grain market will probably give more insight on this, but uh, we've seen a more active uh, export grain market this year with uh, which seems to be, of course, a result of what's happening with uh, Russia and Ukraine and European markets uh, buying more American grain. And, and we're not grain people, so we'll leave it to the grain experts to comment on that. But yeah, this situation on the, uh, on the river system has come at a time where the, when there's a ready constraint on the barge market. And we're seeing, as a result, we're seeing spot barge rates. Skyrocket. Uh, we've seen on a, an important lane that we're moving on raw materials heading northbound. We've seen spot rates for October in the range of nine to 10 times what the annual 2022 contract rate was for that particular move. And we were lucky to be able to find that.
0: Tracy, I just found we have USDA, r- U.S. river barge grain spot rates on the terminal.
1: Oh, so we do.
4: For, we actually... St. Louis, Missouri. We, yeah,
0: we do. So, in fact, it's very clear what Anton just said. So, you know, going back to August, we were at 15. I'm not exactly sure what the... Oh, $15 per short ton. So we were at 15, mm-hmm. and it got as high as 106 in, the, in uh, early oh. October. So really an mm-hmm. extraordinary rise in uh, spot barge prices.
1: Wow. All this chaos on the Mississippi. And, you know, a lot of this is sort of reminiscent of the, the shipping chaos that we were talking about in 2020 and 2021. But what exactly can be done to alleviate this, if anything? I know there's some dredging activity going on. Can you try to, you know, expand capacity on the river? Rush to expand capacity at river ports? Is any of that possible or does it help?
4: the fix right now is a good old rainstorm. They just need water. You know, there is no significant rainfall in the forecast. Everyone's, you know, watching carefully in the barge lines of all. And then the next concern is when that rainfall comes, the surrounding area is so dry as as well, that it's going to take a bit before we get to a point where there's actually runoff feeding the rivers. That's the corrective action that we need. We just need water in the rivers. You know, dredging dredging is always a difficult thing to stay ahead of to keep channels open. And you're talking about, you know, a massive amount of navigable rivers that that the Army Corps of Engineers needs to maintain to keep us moving freight on the rivers of the U.S. So increasing capacity right now is purely just by keeping channels operating, keeping navigable waterways operating. And that's where we're suffering. We just don't have the water to be able to navigate up and down these rivers right now. At some points, we look at barge capacity being the issue. And it's usually this time of year, that's a big issue because the barges are all tied up in the grain sector. And those that are looking to move northbound cargo are constrained because the barge lines feed all their equipment upriver. But that's not even the issue anymore. The issue is just it purely can't move. There's no water, it can't move, and everyone is just desperate to get the riv- the empty barges back and get them repositioned to the next point for a load and keep freight moving.
0: I have a short question and then a slightly longer question. So the first short question is, just what are the non-grain, the dominant non-grain goods that get shipped along the river?
5: Coal, steel, metals, um Chemicals and tank barges, uh, petroleum products, uh, things like that. Iron ore, you find some raw materials ferro alloys, things like this that go into into steel making. But coal, coal is a huge commodity that moves on the uh, on the river system. Our business tends to fall mostly towards the metals and steel markets and the raw materials that that go around those, and they're they're keeping us pretty busy, Joe.
0: So then over. this gets to my second question, which is okay. Yes, we see, I'm looking at this chart right now, the spot rate shot up, but if there's an issue of, okay, you just can't move it, which is sort of like a lot of our themes. It's like there are certain things that you can't buy at any price when there's a constraint on uh, how many barges there are or the depth of the river. What are your clients doing as alternatives or how how are you helping your clients find alternate means of uh, shipment?
4: That's a, yeah, that's a difficult one to work around, but it does depend on the commodity. When we're looking at a lot of the bulk products, which are raw, you know, in terms of being raw materials into production, there's often not necessarily the easy ability to offload it at a terminal and find another conveyance to move it. When you're talking about a ship that has 50,000 tons of material on or even 30,000 tons of material on it, that's a huge, huge, huge amount of Trucks, if you could move it in trucks, to wait for rail cars would be not feasible. You know, in a lot of the instances, waiting out the delays on the river system is still going to be the likely the best use of your time, the most time efficient to get to the end destination, because simply finding a place to offload that much tonnage to ground and reload it out and finding enough conveyance to get it to that next point. Is too hard. Now, once you move into break bulk materials where, you know, steels and metals and, you know, that fall into our sector, right now we're seeing a good portion of that landing to dock when it wouldn't have before. And it's simply because there is no spot market for barges. If you didn't have it booked and you don't have a contract for it, nobody's moving it, nobody's touching it. And we're talking
5: about like uh, those ships coming into New Orleans discharging to the new, to like the city docks in New Orleans just to leave it outside for later reload to, to barges instead of going direct from ship into barge, which is the cheapest, most effective, cost effective.
4: Right. And we're finding, too, that we're running a lot of rail rates on lanes that were not expected to be rail because there is capacity to offload break bulk materials onto the dock stevedores when it just needs a basic outside storage it's easier to easier to navigate that and figure that one out so it's landing to outside storage and then we will bring in rail cars and move it out that way is the best option best option for some other cargo may end up Seeing what happens with the river system, if it's not urgently needed upriver or at a at a consumption point, it may just stay on the dock in New Orleans. We're also seeing some interest in alternate ports, like let's go to Mobile, where maybe we can barge north out of Mobile and avoid the lower Mississippi River just to not get caught up in those bottlenecks.
1: Uh- Margot, you briefly touched on this at the beginning. Uh, Can you maybe describe what would you expect the second order effects of all of this to be? Is it going to be, you know, we mentioned the higher spot rates and will that feed into prices? Is it going to be, you know, shortages because manufacturers can't get the core components or resources that they need, things like steel or coal to stoke various furnaces? What exactly is going to be the result of all of this?
4: Well, right now, it seems like everything is moving slowly, but things are recovering. And the biggest fear that you have in pushing things upriver, predominantly, you know, in talking about a U.S. economy and a U.S. workforce, we become concerned with feedstock raw materials making it into production facilities to keep them running, right? We don't want to see anyone shut down. We don't want to see a labor force furloughed or cut because a facility has to stop working. So that's definitely an ancillary effect and an outcome that you have to worry about. But the river, thankfully, you know, they're working hard to keep it moving in a modified capacity right now. And what we're seeing from the barge lines is that they are currently able to cover what their commitments are, just they can't go above their already booked commitments. So if we can keep it keep it moving and keep the river alive until rainfall comes that will help a lot and help lessen much of, you know, some of the impact I guess, but there's still going to be impact. And I think you know what we're anticipating is barge contracts run most commonly if you're on a contract it's in following a calendar. So we're coming into that time where we should be negotiating for 2023 contracts, but nobody's talking about it yet. The spot market being eight, nine, 10 times what the contract market is, is not a good time to be talking about, hey, what do you think you want to price me for 2023? It's a really loaded question to be asking right now. And nobody's having the conversation. We have where everyone is agreeing to defer that topic right now
0: can i just ask a quick question about that you know i know when we've when we've done episodes on trucking you know contract is in trucking seems to be like sort of a nebulous thing and uh entities Mm -hmm. are ripping up their contracts all the time they're not particularly legally binding particularly if spot and uh contract deviate far when you talk about contract with barge operators are these more binding or are they also sort of like loose and subject to repricing
5: so joe the barge lines are are honorable these are binding contracts they are performing so the, these con- these annual contracts that as margot mentioned right it's typically a calendar year for for these types of contracts that handle the metals and steels and some of the raw materials that we that we manage so the barge lines are they up they stand behind the contracts they stand behind the pricing on the uh, annual base Annual uh, rates that they agree to, and as Margot mentioned, right, that what they're not doing is going over and above. In a, in a good year, uh, well, a good year for for shippers, right, for cargo interests, there's some extra capacity, and there's a possibility to get a barge or two extra uh, under the contract rates when when needed. Not now, as Margot mentioned, right, they're, the barge lines are not giving a single barge beyond. What they're committed to in their, in their contracts, but, but they are, uh, they are performing and, uh, there's no back trading is a phrase that we like to use, right? No, no back trading. And it, it, Joe, you, as you mentioned, right? With the truckers, a whole different world of what a contract means. But, but in the barge world, a contract is a contract and the barge lines are, are sticking, sticking to that.
0: Can I just, I just have one more question. And, you know, weather is what it is and the rains, you know, there'll be another rain or maybe a flood and that might help. But how much, are, you know, long term do you think about uh, the, your clients thinking about climate change and whether the river capacity may be impaired on a meaningful basis for some time to come?
4: Probably not as much as they should be thinking about it, because I know a lot of people are going to say there's no such thing as climate change. But I don't know. I, I sort of have to beg to differ on that. So
0: you've you've seen like setting aside what what we can can we attribute this drought to climate change or not versus random things that happen in the weather. Your perspective from your whole career is that things have been worse lately.
4: Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I but I I do think that is supported by weather data. I think that is supported by looking when you look year on year. The storms that hit, and you know, talk to the people that live in New Orleans and tell me what they think about the uh, <laughs> increase of hurricanes. Yeah. Right? I mean, except this right. year, this year we're not—they're not getting them, and you know, dare we say I, we need a good hurricane to roll through there, but we don't. But the river needs it. But yeah, so that—that that was something I had actually read at one point talking about the climate change and talking about. You know, how much of the U.S. is under a drought condition right now? And this time last year, they were trying, you know, speaking specifically to the river system and the barge market, our barging market was desperately trying to recover from a huge hurricane that came through that wreaked complete havoc with the system. And here we are a year later. We're talking about we have no rain and we have havoc in the river system. So. I think I think it's really something they do have to talk about. And there's one article I had read and it talked about even just global trade and the key choke points that are exposed both on political situations and um piracy and you know acts of man that are in control of someone and then the weather events that are in control of no one. You know, and talking about Straits and Panama Canal and Suez Canal and places like that in the Black Sea and everyone being subject to the impacts of weather. I mean, any weather extremity causes a problem in shipping. And actually, this article I read, it was so interesting that it went as far as to point out excessive heat warping about 10 years ago, it getting so hot in parts of the U.S., it affected the railroad tracks cuz all mm. the railroad tracks expanded and it caused tremendous derailments so you know it's not just water it's not just our barges and our ships it it's you know it, it definitely affects our our network across across all conveyances
1: yeah, I think that's a really important point and one that we all seem to be um, learning in real time, unfortunately. Uh, but Anton and Margot, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming back on All Thoughts uh, to talk about barges, just like we promised. We Finally, would
0: do. the long-awaited barge episode. Thank you so much both of you for coming on. Absolutely.
5: Thanks for having us on.
1: So, Joe, I'm so happy we finally did the barge episode. I should say, I've been reading a really good book on barges lately that um, a listener actually recommended. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called Brownwater Boating by Dean Gabbert. Anyway, if you want to learn more about barges, you should definitely check that out. But I mean, you know what was interesting in that very last bit of the conversation with Margot and Anton, the talk about climate change? I mean, this is a climate change episode, right? right. And. This is sort of what, I mentioned this already, but this is what we're all learning now is that a lot of our economy depends on the weather acting in a certain way, there being enough water for us to transport goods by river, uh, there being you know, not too much heat so that the railway lines still work, and we're kind of discovering all these vulnerabilities in our transport and infrastructure as um, as climate change worsens
0: yeah you know i'm thinking also back to that episode we did uh earlier in the year with alex turnbull and we were just talking about energy and you know the issue of nuclear plants, even that need a certain amount of cool water mm. to uh you know uh, that's to, right to, to cool down and if the, the the rivers are too warm then that doesn't work etc and so yeah we really see that like certain things we take for granted like the smooth operation of the mississippi river or just the idea that there's going to be cool water for uh, nuclear facilities is not something that we can uh, just take for granted. But it is interesting. And, you know, it really does seem like the inland waterways, the Mississippi River, it kind of feels like old timey, you know, <laughs> right? Like if you hear, like, if, so, what what is the Mississippi ri- River conjure up? Like some sort of like the old steam riverboat. Steamboats, right? Yes, riverboats. And and casinos. And like, so, who's, you know, one of those authors who like wrote books about that time. You don't think of it as being like all that vital like these days, but obviously it really is.
1: Yeah. She, that Mark Twain was yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say Mark Twain. Like, come on. Mark Twain, riverboats yeah, Mississippi Mississippi. Yeah, uh, you know, rafts and yeah. going down the Mississippi. Okay. But seriously, if you like that topic, you should read that barge book I, that I just meant mentioned um the other thing that struck me is it's not even like we need more water it's that we need water in a specific pattern so as ben was mentioning you know you either need a downpour sort of upriver that then flows downstream or you need a prolonged rain that softens the ground like further south and then flows into the river and then the other thing that struck me was that even if you get a disruption like this and it's relatively short-lived To Anton and Margot's point about the contracts, like the way those work, basically means that this disruption can have this lagged effect for many, many months to come, even if it only like is extreme for two or three months.
0: Right. The chart is really extreme. It's come down a little bit those spot prices, Mm -hmm. but you know, as they uh, as they pointed out, like nobody. Nobody wants to enter like contract renegotiation season now with the levels here because where the where where do you price things? I also like what what did uh, Anton say something about how in the barge business they take their contracts seriously, unlike <laughs> unlike those truckers where they just uh, rip them up. In, in in the in the barge business, a uh, a contract is a contract.
1: Words to live by. Yeah,
0: live like a barge operator. <laughs> you know, just the just the other thing. You know, to Ben's point about how look, you know, price is one thing capacity is another thing. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have the capacity, then you have all these issues. You have various terminals that aren't equipped to move things at different spots. You have more storage at the ports because you're just waiting longer for the barge to come and move them. I mean, it's a real mess. And again, you know, like it's so interesting in the broad sweep of things that we cover because there are clearly things that are sort of macro, right? Mm -hmm. Like inflation generally probably is a macro story. But this really does seem like one where it's just It's a lot of bad luck.
1: Yeah, Um, on top of the uh, the Ukrainian grain situation as well, Well, which we've already spoken about,
0: and the booming demand for U.S. domestic grain. So it is connected, and to uh, Margot and Anton's point, the booming demand for grains globally also means that there is less capacity for Mm non-grain goods like the various industrial commodities or coal or iron that they were talking about. So it really is a it's kind of a a perfect storm. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) It does seem like it. It does seem like a perfect storm.
1: All right. Well, on that note, uh, before we utter any more cliches, I think we should leave it there. (laughs) Let's leave it there. Okay. This has been another episode of the Odd Thoughts podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our guests on Twitter, Ben Scholl. He's at Otto Scholl. Anton Posner. He's at Anton Posner. And I don't think uh, Margot Brock, the president of the Mercury Group, is on Twitter. But uh, follow our producer, Carmen Rodriguez, at Carmen Armin. And if you enjoyed uh, today's episode and you enjoy Odd Lots, check out bloomberg.com oddlots. Tracy and I write a blog. We post transcripts there. And we have a weekly newsletter where we talk about some of the themes of the episode. Find it all at bloomberg.com oddlots. And check out all of our podcasts on Twitter under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening.